David is one of the grand characters of the Bible, going from a shepherd boy to the king of Israel. And David cast a shadow of the coming greater David. His name is Jesus. He was addressed as the son of David. And as we watch David's life in the book of 2 Samuel, we'll get a little more of an insight into the kingdom of God and the great King Jesus. It's not always a perfect foreshadowing, but it's an interesting study in the life of David. That's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Now, all of us are a work in progress, we know, and we've all got work to do. We all need grace. The kingdom of God, Romans 14, 17, this may be the only direct, you know, specific definition of the kingdom of God. Write this down for your notes. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it is righteousness or justice. It's peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to belong to the kingdom. If you are a Christian, you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of what? Of light. From the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God's beloved son. You now have new marching orders. The rest of your Christian life is really about trying to find out what pleases the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we all know the verses. We can quote them. We're to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. We're to be holy and pleasing to him. We're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we might find out what the good, perfect, and pleasing will of God is. Every day when we wake up, we have a chance to bow before the king and say, what would you have me to do today? What are your marching orders for me? I, I like to envision the times when there were knights and kings and and, you know, knights would go through a process where they were a squire and, the, and they would grow and they would be taught. And finally, they would be knighted after a, day of, uh, a night of prayer and fasting. And they would be in service to the king and the kingdom. I like to envision myself in the morning kneeling before my king and asking him to touch me with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, with his power and, and send me out to do what he's called me to do. This is the king and this is the kingdom. This is what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw Saul, even though he was the king of Israel, blow it. And he staggered and he made mistakes. David had his moments too, but David continued to strengthen himself in the Lord. Saul died at the hands of the Philistines while David was slaughtering the Amalekites down in the south. And he was at Ziklag for two days. This is a place that the Achish, the king of the Philistines, had given to David to, to stay. Look at verse 2. And it happened on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes torn and dust on his head. This appearance of the man would signal bad news. And it came about when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. He probably had to travel about three days from the battle in the north with the Philistines and Saul to get to Ziklag where David was. And David had just... Uh, rescued his family and his wives from the Amalekites 
who had taken them as booty and burned the village. And David went and rescued his family and he defeated the Amalekites and he did something that Saul was supposed to do. Saul was supposed to wipe out the Amalekites totally, but he refused to obey God. And Amalekites are going to be all over this text. In fact, we're going to, show up, we're going to see that the man who shows up is an Amalekite. He comes on the third day. Would you note it, Bible students? On the third day. One writer says, as we read the gospel accounts in the New Testament, it's interesting to notice that after the death of Jesus, there were two days in which the future was uncertain, at least to those who were afraid and waiting, for they knew not what. It was on the third day that the next major event occurred. The New Testament writers understood Jesus' resurrection on the third day had been anticipated by the scriptures. For example, 1 Corinthians 15, 4. It is not unreasonable to suggest that the two days between the death of Saul and the emergence of David on the third day was part of this pattern, pointing to the greater David who would emerge as king, if you will, on day three in resurrection, confirmed to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Saul was dead. Hosea 13, 11 says, I gave you a king, Saul, in my anger, and took him away in my wrath. God gave the people what they wanted, but he knew it was going to end badly, and he knew that the king would take, take, and take more from them. And, you know, when you, when you try to do things God's, uh, not God's way, but the enemy's way or the world's way, it ends up costing you more, more, and more. Have you noticed? Things look really attractive at the beginning, and so you take the bait, but you don't realize that there's a hook behind the bait. That's how the enemy works. And there's a lot of people who, you know, had all this promise and ended up dangling from a hook, sadly. So David said to this mystery man, this visitor who's now come disheveled before David, from where do you come? And he said to him, I've escaped from the camp of Israel. David said to him, how did things go? David's been waiting. He doesn't know what's happened to Saul and his sons. He says, please tell me. I want news of the battle. Verse 4, and he said, the people have fled from the battle. Also, many of the people have fallen and are dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. You can imagine David's heart must have sank, especially at the news of Jonathan. So David said to the young man who told him, he said, how do you know that Saul and his son Jonathan are dead? I mean, that's the logical question. How, do you, how did you come across this news? Who are you and how did you get this news of the death of the anointed of God? And the young man who told him uh, said, by chance I happened to be on Mount Gilboa and behold, Saul was leaning on his spear and behold, the chariots uh, which may be in question because up on the mountain it would be hard for chariots to operate. And the horsemen pursued him closely. I just happened to be in this area and I saw King Saul leaning on his spear. Now, if you're David and you have some investigative uh, intellectual capabilities, kind of like an attorney, you have some questions like, well, how did you end up on the battlefield? And, and where were you when this happened? And if the if the... If they're hotly pursuing Saul, how is it that you are unscathed in all of this and you've watched the action? Who are you and where did you come from? In 1 Chronicles 10, um, there's, a, there's a report of this. So you have 1 and 2 Samuel and then turn to your right, 1 and 2 Kings. 
1st and 2nd Chronicles. Now there's a parallel account in 2nd Chronicles chapter 10. Uh, I was reading Warren Wearsby this week and he was saying that you could think of 2nd, I'm sorry, 1st Chronicles 10 is what you want, 1st Chronicles 10. He was saying that you could think of 1st Chronicles as telling the story from the priestly point of view. Whereas Samuel and Kings is from the king's perspective, Chronicles would be more from the priestly perspective. And here's the record of what happened. We have, we have this recorded in 1 Samuel 31 and 1 Chronicles 10, and they say the same thing, but I want you to see a little bit more detail. 1 Chronicles 10.3 says, The battle became heavy against Saul. The archers overtook him, and he was wounded by the archers. 1 Chronicles 10.4 Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid Therefore Saul took his sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, verse 5, he likewise fell on his sword and died. Thus Saul died with his three sons, and all those of his household died together. There'll be more sons that we'll come to in a moment, or in later studies. When all the men of Israel who were in the valley saw they had fled, that they had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead. They forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. And it came about the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, this is what they would do, that they found Saul and his sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. Now this is going to be a little hard to take, but this is what the Bible says they did. So they stripped him and took his head and his armor and sent messengers around the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to their idols and to the people. And they put his armor in the house of their gods, fastened his head in the house of Dagon. And when all Jabesh-Gilead heard all that the Philistines had done to Saul, these are ones who Saul had helped earlier, all the valiant men arose and took away the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons and brought them to Jabesh, buried their bones under the oak in Jabesh and fasted seven days. And so Saul died for his trespass, which he committed against the Lord, two of them, because of the word of the Lord, which he did not keep, so he was disobedient, and also, number two, because he asked counsel of a medium, making inquiry of it, and did not inquire of the Lord. He said the Lord wasn't speaking to him, but apparently he didn't even try. Therefore, who killed Saul? He, God, killed him and turned the kingdom to David the son of Jesse. Now, when we think about this account, go to, back to 2 Samuel, and we'll start winding it down. We have some varying accounts. Um, this man is about to tell David that Saul was still alive when he came on the scene, and he had to finish Saul off. Let's pick up the account in 2 Samuel 1, verse 7. And when he looked behind him, he saw me, and he called to me, and, he, and I said, here I am, 2 Samuel 1, verse 8. He said to me, who are you? And I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. Now, who was Saul supposed to finish off in their entirety? The Amalekites. Application point. When you don't finish off the enemies in your life and you toy with them and you keep them around and you don't deal severely with the things that cause you to sin, eventually they're going to come back and get you. And it's going to be ironic if the man's story is true. It's an Amalekite that finishes off Saul, but the Amalekite shouldn't have been alive if Saul had dealt with his enemies the way God instructed him to do. 
We toy with sin. We leave it around. We play games with ourselves. We, we leave it there for the next indulgence, but we act like we've dealt with our sin. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. I just want to share my heart for a second. We have a website called walkintruth.com and we put up a store and we're adding more and more products to it. But one of the reasons I want to get you to that store is that you can partner with us in the ministry. You know, radio airtime costs money and we want to reach more people. If you're being blessed by this ministry, one of the ways that you can partner with us is to go to the website and purchase a product. You can also purchase my book on The Armor of God. I'll get you a signed copy and whatever you give to the ministry will go directly to paying for radio airtime. That's one way you can partner with us. You can help us reach more people like you and you can partner with us in the gospel ministry. It's a great thing. We appreciate you. We love you. Pray for us. We'll keep praying for you. Reach out to us today through the store at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. Eventually, they're going to come back and get you. And it's going to be ironic. If the man's story is true, it's an Amalekite that finishes off Saul, but the Amalekite shouldn't have been alive if Saul had dealt with his enemies the way God instructed him to do. We toy with sin. We leave it around. We play games with ourselves. We, we leave it there for the next indulgence, but we act like we've dealt with our sin. I know it's quiet in here. <laughs> but hey, this is kind of what we do. And then sometimes we realize, man, I've just been playing a game with myself. By the way, the Amalekites were one of the, from one of the grandsons of Esau, which is a whole other story. Then he said to me, please stand beside me. Now, in this story, Saul's talking to the Amalekite and kill me for agony has seized me because my life still lingers in me. So I stood beside him. Now, this man's before David with all the looks of, you know, grief and mourning. I stood beside him and killed him because I knew that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown which was on his head and the bracelet which was on his arm and I brought them to my Lord. Now we have two different accounts. 1 Samuel 31, 1 Chronicles 10 says that Saul committed suicide and then so did his armor bearer. This man says, no, I had to finish Saul off. Now I'll save you the time on all the commentaries. Some people say, Saul tried to commit suicide, his life was still lingering, and the Amalekite actually finished him off. But it's hard to reconcile these accounts. And critics of the Bible have said, ah, oh, this is a contradiction. We have two different accounts of this story. By the way, 1 and 2 Samuel originally in the Hebrew Bible was one book. That means 2 Samuel chapter 1 is the next chapter after 1 Samuel 31. Could we imagine a writer of the Bible forgetting what he wrote a chapter before and writing down a different account? I don't think so. I don't think he, the Bible writer had a senior moment. I know we all have those and sometimes it, it can sneak up on us. It can even be a junior moment. I know some juniors who forget a lot of stuff too, but we won't go there this morning, will we, about cleaning their room and that kind of thing. But You know, the Bible records the lies of people accurately. Say what? 
Were the, were the lies of Satan recorded in the Bible? Did Joseph's brothers lie about what happened to him to their dad? Yeah. We're reading the text. We know they're lying. The Bible accurately records their lie. Did the Bible record Herod's lie to the wise men? Hey, make a careful search for the child, and when you find him, bring him to me so that I too may worship him. Uh, wrong. He wanted to what? Kill him. The man, I think we could all understand, is lying. Now, some of you say, but why? Why would he lie to this man who's going to come into the kingdom and be the king? Well, I think this man was something like a camp follower. I think he followed around the, the battle and tried to be kind of a marauder. He tried to take stuff from the dead. This did happen in the ancient world. And here's what would happen. People would die on the battlefield and these people would scavenge for stuff. And he finds the king with a crown and a bracelet. And what's he got to be thinking? This is the arch enemy of David. If I show up at David's doorstep with the crown and the bracelet, this is going to be an awesome career move for me. Probably hatched the plan in, in the moment, right? You know, there he is over the body, realizes, oh, this is my lucky day. This is like winning the lotto. King David is going to love me after this. I probably have grapes fed to me for the rest of my days. Uh, beautiful women will be fanning me. This is going to be awesome. But this man is about to make the worst career mistake of all time. Because what he doesn't realize is that David has had opportunities to kill Saul, but he would not touch him. Because Saul was God's anointed, as much as we may be confused about that. Then David took hold of his clothes when he heard the news and tore them, verse 11, a sign of grief and mourning. And also did all, so also did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and his son Jonathan. And for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Now, can you imagine being this guy? You show up, you think, man, I got it going on. This is going to be great. Show me where my new apartment is. And David starts tearing his clothes and says, we're not eating until evening. And you start to go, oh, oh. Uh, apparently this news is not being received as well as I thought it might. Apparently this is not a great thing. And David said to the young men, who told him, where are you from? With a gulp, I think he said, uh, I'm the son of an alien, an Amalekite. An alien would be someone who maybe attached themselves as a, a sojourner to the people of Israel. And David said to him, how is it that you were not afraid to stretch out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Why were you not afraid to touch God's man, God's king? What has caused you to do this evil in your heart? And the Bible says that those who want to get rich, who are not content, they pierce themselves through with many a pang. I find this picturesque. This man's about to be pierced through because he was looking for a get-rich-quick scheme and it's going to backfire on him. And so, here's what happens. David called one of the young men and said, go cut him down. So he struck him. And he died. There you go. Don't you love the Bible? It's so honest. This man came with a scheme. He was a liar. 
But some of you are saying, but then why was he killed if he didn't really kill Saul? Well, David didn't know for sure. But David is going to say something that gives the responsibility, puts it where it belongs. David said to him, your blood is on your head. For your mouth has testified against you, saying, I've killed the Lord's anointed. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 37, By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so the man went down. Now in the time we have remaining, I'm going to read to you, with very little commentary, a lament that David taught the sons of Israel. David's the new king. Saul has died. Saul's been his nemesis for many, many years. But I want you to see how David mourns for the fallen heroes. David chanted with this lament over Saul and Jonathan, his son, verse 18. And he told them to teach the sons of Judah the song of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. That's lost to us, but it's also known as the book of the upright. Can you imagine Saul ending up in the book of the upright? You know, this teaches us something really quick about memorial services and funerals. Sometimes we wonder, you know, why should we speak well of someone if maybe there's not a ton of good stuff to say? You know, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 uh, lauds the faith of men and others, women, who sometimes failed. Do their exploits of failure get recorded in the hall of faith? No. I think God is seeing things from heaven's perspective. There's a couple of brothers, they lived, I think, in England. They were just scoundrels. They ripped people off in business. They were just terrible to deal with. One of the brothers died and so the other surviving brother came to a pastor in the city and he said, uh, I want you to do the funeral service for my brother and I'm willing to give you $50,000 to do it. The only condition is that you have to call him a saint. That's the only condition. Just call him a saint. 50 grand for your church. Pastor thought about it and decided to do the memorial service. And so the service commenced that day and the man was in... The, the pine box there and his brother was there and the pastor began to address the crowd and he said, this man in this box was a dirty, rotten scoundrel. He was a liar and a thief. He ripped off a bunch of people, a terrible man. But next to his brother over there, he was a saint. <laughs> Thank you for the $50,000. That's a... Smart pastor. Oh, I've got to hurry. We're out of time. Oh, I'll tell you what. We're going we're gonna to stop right here. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. Your word is alive. It tells the truth about life. It tells the truth about battle. It tells the truth about what people do, lies and manipulation. It tells the truth about failure, but it tells the truth about hope. Saul and Jonathan are going to be sung about and really honored. And Jonathan had a lot of honorable qualities, but Saul, you know, thinking about his life, there may not have been a lot of positives to focus on, but 
David is showing as one of his first acts as king, he's showing the people how to have grace. He's showing the people how to mourn. At the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus wept. You wept over the city of Jerusalem. And you're not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. And Lord, thank you that you are so patient with me. That you don't focus on my failures. You're a God of grace and mercy. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you knew what you were getting when you signed me up. And I entered into your kingdom. And thank you that you are so patient. And as we see the new king ascending to the throne, he's going to honor the man who was his chief nemesis for years. He's going to show him grace and focus on the good things about him. And Lord, we, we tend, we're going to confess, we tend to do that at memorial services and we tend not to do it when people are alive. Oh God, forgive us. For how many times we focus on people's weaknesses instead of the beauty of who they are and seeing them through your eyes. That's something that David teaches us right from the get-go, right as he ascends to the throne. And it's something that we know is true of you, the greater David, that, you know, this, this David, who is the human one, said, if you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? You know our frame. You know that we're dust. But as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. The king of glory came and died on that cross for us. Brothers and sisters, if you're part of that kingdom, would you just think for a moment of what your king did for you? He came to die, to open the way. If you've not met him, if, if he's not your king right now, make him your king. Swear allegiance to him. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe the king came down from heaven. I believe the king went to the cross. I believe the king conquered the grave. I believe the king is at the right hand of God the Father, ever living to intercede for his people, for his kingdom. Lord, I want to seek first your kingdom. Pray it if it's you. Pray it if you're a believer right now. I want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Please add to me those things that you promise. Make me the man, the woman, the boy or girl that you've called me to be, the young adult that you've called me to be. Change me, Lord. Make me more like the king. Give me a heart after God. That's what David had, but Jesus had a heart after God because he is God. Conform us more into the image of of the great King, Lord. Do a mighty work. Let your Holy Spirit move, breathing life and perspective and hope and faith and diligence and perseverance into your people as we follow the, the rule and reign and leading of our King. In Jesus' holy name I pray and all God's people said, amen. Hey folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals and you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, 
Search for Walk in Truth and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.